Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey everybody, it's your Crablante Bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it is I, Speed of Sound, Jake Young. <laughs> and today we are doing a, an episode that I know Jake has been wanting to do for a really long time now. I have been maybe more hesitant to do it just because it's like a little baby thing. <laughs> I feel like it's barely been around. We we do so many like dinosaur IPs on this show. And no, it's fine. I I was I was amazed we finally got to do a superhero episode that wasn't going to take three weeks to tell their eighty <laughs> years long story. No, in fact, you could technically watch all of it in like one evening if you really committed. <laughs> We're talking about One Punch Man, and it is if you don't know what it is, it is a phenomenal anime that has really one of the biggest anime like especially new animes Mm -hmm. out there right now and i say anime but i really should say webcomic manga it's it's everything it's everywhere it's got everything and and the story is so much more interesting than i even thought it would be of how this whole thing came about it is an interesting like japan when i look at japanese culture especially when it comes to their their manga and all that kind of stuff it seems so structured and so traditional and so rooted in okay if you want to be big you need to like win this award and this award and this world award and get on weekly shonen jump and you know then you'll get the anime and you'll be like mr dragon ball right Mm -hmm. but this is actually a story Akira dragon ball was his name if yes, you, you become Akira Dragon Ball Z, uh, the famous <laughs> anim- animator who's done all of anima- animation. Uh, yeah, it is. But this is actually like, this guy won, the creator, the OG creator of One Punch Man. This guy reminds me kind of a little bit of me in the sense that like, like oh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get... Um, you know, you've been, you, I mean, Holden, you've been rejected. <laughs> yeah, I've been rejected by everyone. I couldn't get into the Hollywood system. I couldn't get, you know, a job on SNL. So I started doing podcasts and Twitch streaming. And now I've kind of I've created my own living. And enough about and like me. One Punch Man, you collaborated with a much more talented creator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And took over the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really phenomenal. A much more talented and incredibly horny creator. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. The fact that this can even happen in Japan is something I d- d- was not aware of. I really thought you had to play ball in a very specific system, and the fact that people can get huge off of a webcomic that they made themselves 
is really, really fucking cool. And I know I'm, I'm skipping a little bit to some of the intel here, some of the info we're about to drop on you about how this whole thing mm. came about. But that's because I'm so excited about it. I think this is just such a cool, interesting uh, journey, journey of, crea- of, of, a, of a new creation that could only create something like what it is. Like, only a, a super fan could create the what would eventually be the anime that has this unique interesting perspective in the sense just like we talked about how Neonginus's Evangelion was this re- reaction to um, you know mech animes and, and and anime in general and it's a comment on being an anime fan so much so is One Punch Man in a more humorous context in this in this case less of a depressed context and yet there is a sadness to it yeah, oh yeah and yet there is uh, the way I would describe One Punch Man, the anime, is a weird mix between stillness and Sakuga. Do you know what Sakuga is? Sakuga, is that when, uh, yes, that is the word for when in an anime you can tell all of their budget was put <laughs> towards this one dope action moment. Am I right on that? You're right. But here's kind of the, this is one of the big reveals, the big revelations that kind of uh, uh, took me by surprise. Is It's not necessarily that the budget for the first season of One Punch Man was so great, like was so out of left field, like extravagant. It's the fact that the talent that they assembled was that good. That in terms of people who uh-huh. had mastered the art of pacing and frame timing and 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 figure drawing and like all the skills required to do an, a well done animated sequence, were it's just kind of this 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 all star team that was brought in for this one project. And uh-huh. uh, as we're recording, uh, One Punch Man season two is coming out, and a lot of people have been bemoaning the fact that it's a different team, a less decorated team of animators. And even in the first few episodes, you you can kind of tell, you can kind of get a feel that like there's a little bit of magic missing. So that's why, thank you for explaining that, Jake. I've, I've been more in uh, uh, digging deeper into one punch man's past that I I'm, I needed that explanation because I've heard oh, this you rumbling. Have not been on the Discord servers and the uh, yeah, message boards. I can tell that it is crazy. Well, why don't we? Well, let's let's get all the way back. Well, actually, no, we haven't even started with our personal experience with the thing, and I definitely mm-hmm. have that for myself. I mean, I can't have I grew up with it because <laughs> it came out so recently. I mean, when did when did One Punch Man the anime debut? Uh, I feel like it was kind of a 2016, 2015 right? thing. And I, it's kind of good. It, it it is good around the same time the first Attack on Titan uh, season came out. There was just yes. like this this kind of like mini anime rebubbling that was happening as it was all these crossover hits were kind of coming through. And I came back to anime at this time, right? So I was really into anime in college. I walked away from it for a long time, and it wasn't until we started doing this show again was a big, or for the first time, rather, it was a big motivator for me because I'm like, well, if we're going to do a show involving comic books, video games, anime, um, and other things, of course, we've done films and bands, but I I felt like I needed to brush up, and I think maybe, too, talking to you about about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, <laughs> One Punch, all this stuff. You know, I had I had rumblings, people telling me about Attack on Titan, uh, and I think that that all got me very excited and motivated to get back into it. But this was like one of the top three. Hey, you want to get back into anime? You need to check this shit out. And I have had so many conversations about One Punch Man. I definitely have seen the first season. I only saw the first episode of the second season. Um, 
uh, and I was very drunk, and it was the other night, so I have to rewatch <laughs> it. But it, but the first season was a bit of a revelation. First of all, it was genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. It felt genuinely like a new take on the genre. It really was. Neon Genesis is to Gundam. Uh, what One Punch Man is to Dragon Ball Z in a lot of ways, to in my perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's subverting the genre. It's doing it, though, in a different way from Neon Genesis. I feel like even with Poela, Magi, Madoka, Magica, it's following um, maybe a bit too much in the footsteps of Neon Genesis, trying to take it, subvert it in the same way. This, I feel like, subverts it in a different way. This is saying, instead of Neon Genesis, it's the opposite, right? Neon Genesis is like, oh, you think you're just a bunch of kids driving big, fun mechs around killing monsters, but actually it's about all of, you know, it's it's this uh, uh, about all of creation, and really we're here to talk about psychology and spirituality. In One Punch Man, it is, oh, we're, you think we're, you know, fighting monsters every week in this shonen genre, but actually we're following this guy while he buys groceries and deals with the mundanity of existence the satire is like so much more simple and like straightforward than yeah Puella or Evangelion that there's entire legions of fan theories that have imbued this series with psychology and it's very easy Uh to do because there is this monumental disconnect between Saitama's like inner world and the explosions of melodrama that are happening around him. Saitama Uh, is the one punch man. We should quickly describe because I feel like especially with anime almost more than anything else, people may be less in touch with what the actual plot of the show is uh, than other things. So one punch man is essentially the idea. We should have done this from sentence one. I know. People get mad at us. People are going to tear us apart. People get mad at us for doing this all the time too. William iTunes is going to come to my house (laughs) and Punch me in my face and genitals. With one star, a single star just on his <laughs> fist to leave a, a permanent marking on your body. So One Punch Man is about this guy, Saitamo, who is um, essentially- The world's strongest being. The show, uh, sh- all right, so TV shows and manga like Dragon Ball Z s- start at the beginning with this hero who wants to be the best, and you slowly watch the hero become the best, and by the final issue, the hero is the most powerful being in the world, and th- finally, he did it. He made it. He's he, No one can beat him. Well, this takes place on the final issue. This takes place actually like five years after the final issue. He's been the strongest in the world now for so long, and he just murders everybody with a single punch that he's bored out of his mind, even though this insane shit is happening all around him. These crazy monsters keep coming at him, and he's just like rolling his eyes and just like whatever, and just like punches them with this one quick punch, and they just explode, which is hilarious. And it's a hilarious juxtaposition to see this super crazy monster, super serious cyber soldier, whatever it is, right? And then One Punch Man's just like, man, and just like punches him. He wants a fight. He wants challenge, but he can't get it anywhere, and he's depressed. And it's also about a guy in a cape picking up groceries and just like kind of dealing with how shitty and boring it is to do do day-to-day stuff. And it's so funny, and it's so clever, and it's so unique that um, it could only be written by somebody who is just completely out of the system, who had nothing, you know, who who uh, even as even when he was drawing as a kid, he 
I don't know if he purposely did it, but he definitely, I have a quote, well, I'm sure I'll end up regurgitating later, where he talks about, like, when he started drawing, he didn't imitate anyone. Unlike pretty much everybody else we read about who they had at least one person they were obsessed with and they just tried to completely imitate exactly what they did. Um, uh, That was not true for uh, One Punch. For One Punch, actually, uh, or that one, rather, the guy who created One Punch, he was just drawing on his own trying to create... Uh, his own style, and and it's not good. It's rough around the edges. It's not oh, ever going to get him a job, you know. It's and, immature. Well, we'll get into one story, but yeah, the uh, the original web comic is like, it's almost kind of you know. You remember when like in Homestar Runner, the cheat would do his own cartoons. Uh-huh. It was like and it's just extremely amateurish. The uh, the art style originally was like very simple characters, very like crude shading, very like. Just sloppy, sloppy line work. But oddly enough, there was a little bit of charm that came through where, like, the guy had an eye for, like, drama and angles. And, like, he, like, there was this genuine talent for storytelling that, like, some kind of almost, almost, uh, ascended beyond its, its, like, weird, amateurish, uh, form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And another thing about One Punch Man that you have to understand is, uh, there's like it almost there's two sides to it. There's Saitama, who is like un, unflappable, just like uh-huh. ex, almost existentially depressed. And the buildup as the monsters kind of go on a rampage, and it's up to him to finally like deliver the titular one punch. And then there's <laughs> this universe of shonen anime and superhero and action, just this pop culture cavalcade yes. of action tropes yeah. that surrounds themselves. And they have ranking systems and there's rivalries and dark secrets and weird gag characters. And uh, so they're in- so all the drama revolves around them. One Punch Man's uh, sidekick is a cool cyborg named Genos who has like this elaborate backstory and is on his hero's journey. And like, uh, and, and the second episode, like he starts explaining his his uh, you know it's like I was in a village and a mad cyborg destroyed my family and my home and uh, doctor and doctor whatever like rebuilt me and like so I come literally has to go like just keep it to twenty words I don't give a shit <laughs> yeah yeah there's so many funny uh, playing playing off of backstory constantly in this uh just so many silly they, they just every trope is here is this is clearly a fan of the genre it's just just in a way shitting all over it in a really fun way you know just having so much fun with all of these different you know in the first episode you've got the brother team one's the scientist making the other one stronger it's totally also like an attack on titan reference too with just the big naked strong oh, yeah, guy it's a hundred percent an attack on titan it, yeah i guess i guess what we're trying to what i'm trying to sell people on if you haven't considered the series before is there's like once a generation or, you know, at least in Internet terms, a generation, I mean, five or six years, once a five or six years, <laughs> uh, an anime comes along that is so well produced, so uniquely like so unique to anime that it couldn't exist in another form and so appealing and like and no- and novel that it can win over other people. And One Punch Man is one of those series it is one of those things that even the most like jaded like i don't give a shit people will watch the first or second episode and go like okay that was pretty neat yeah 
A hundred percent, hundred percent. This is like Studio Ghibli level. This is One Piece level. This and it's, is it's spread to America so like wildfire. It's insane how quickly people have picked up on the show. And I think that that's because, as we will find out in the story we're about to tell, that he, you know, the that he was admired by veterans of the industry. Who said, "Hey, yeah, we wanna, we wanna make this bigger. We wanna like support your talent. I can tell you're really good. You just don't have the the industry skills. You don't have that specific path that has been carved out to become a famous manga artist or or anime producer or what what have you. Um, that that you should have because your talent is obvious. And so all of these big names are involved. So let's get into it. Shall we get into it?" Let's talk about a, a humble man from Japan whose name we cannot find. <laughs> his uh, his pseudonym, though, is ONE in all caps, and I think that's o- so cool. E ONE. And also, by the way, he was ONE, like, for forever, way before One Punch Man even, right? Like, he's just been ONE. That was S- just his online handle. Yeah, right? And uh, he was... We do know this, though. We do know some things. He was born in October of 1986 in the Saitama Prefecture of Japan. Uh, Specifically, he was born in Konosu City in the Saitama Prefecture, also known as Doll Town. Oh, creepy. Because of the predominance of... (laughs) I can't pronounce this. Hina Nirgyo... (laughs) Ningyo. You're uh, doing great. uh, Ceremonial Doll Factories. (laughs) Yikes! I'll never go there, hopefully. <laughs> it looks like a real boring <laughs> Tokyo suburb. <laughs> With the creepy dolls that come to life at night. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> you just force your your young uh, daughters to arrange them into a pyramid during a specific holiday because Japanese culture is normal. <laughs> it's normal! Um, he described himself as, by speaking of normal, he described himself as a normal, low-key kind of boy, which is hilarious to me because Saitama is very much one as well. And uh, he talks about actually wanting to have been in manga from a very young age. He says, I had decided I wanted to be a gag manga artist from the time I was in grade school. I was a fan of Crayon Shinchan, and at the time, I wanted to draw that sort of manga. For me, it wasn't a case of simply trying to be a manga artist and testing the waters to see if if it was worth a shot, rather, my thought uh, process was to decide right off the bat that I was going to be to be one. So the rest was just a matter of effort. I guess that's how I decided my whole future while still just a kid. Now, Crayon uh, Shinchan is a gag, as he mentioned before, gag manga or like a comedy manga. He's about- the part. The character is the Bart Simpson of Japan. Oh, yeah. He's Even- just this shitty little kid, always misbehaving, but it's also a slice-of-life family cartoon. And it's set in his prefecture. It's set in Saitama Prefecture, Japan. It was first published in 1990. A lot of the comedy is based on a play on words, as well as the boy's mischievous actions. I feel like so much of Japanese comedy, there's always a play on words involved. There's always no. like, this word means two different things, and that's why it's hilarious. Oh, so- Sometimes it's not even means two different things. It's like this word kind of sounds like another word, <laughs> and that still counts as a joke. 
Honestly, uh, whenever I think about like Japanese localizers for anime or video games, all I can think about is like the poor bastards that have to translate all these weird puns. Like they're like, I don't even think this joke is good, and I have to try to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like writing for like a bad TV show or something. You know what I mean? Uh, are you looking at the Nico Nico interview that uh, a fan referred us to, or do, are you looking at another source? I have pulled from that. I have also pulled from many. There, there are a bunch of different uh, translated interviews I pulled from. But I definitely pulled from that one. I want to thank our fans on Facebook, by the way, for sending us to some sources that I actually was able to use this time around. Uh, grazie, grazie. I mean, if you want to uh, participate, you can go to go to the Facebook group and enjoy the hours upon hours of fun conversations to be had. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so one said, "My family didn't buy me a lot of manga, but when we visit my grandmother in visited rather my grandmother in Niigata Prefecture, they'd buy me a manga copy at the kiosk to keep me amused on the bullet train. Remember, just one book they would tell me, and so I'd usually choose a copy of Crayon Shinchan. And he talked about how he really he he would reread the same volumes over and over and over again. He really didn't have an abundance." of source material to work with even though he was completely obsessed with it his family really wasn't super supportive or at least he didn't believe they would be of him wanting to be an artist from a young age he was drawing a ton as a student especially in middle and high school with a focus on comedic beats as opposed to cool dudes and hot girls but he would hide his work from others his comedy uh manga drawings and stuff this blows my mind that like from his time as an elementary school student to all the way up to he didn't move out uh he lived with his parents until he was 23 years old so he was at his parents house all through college and the whole time he was trying to draw comics and he just like didn't want his parents to be worried that like he wasn't taking his studies seriously or that well, like he was throwing away his career. He even cites a couple of examples. He says, my parents got angry at me a few times when they found out I had drawn a gag manga called Middle-Aged Man-Man, which I think is, <laughs> by the way, hilarious right now. I think if Middle-Aged Man-Man came out on Crunchyroll, I would watch the shit out of that. But anyways, he said um, he was drawing this, this Middle-Aged Man-Man comic in my notebooks. In fact, I filled up about 50 50 notebooks just with manga. But what hurt the most wasn't getting chewed out or for goofing off. Rather, it was having something I loved to do be rejected. Back then, I only drew manga about my crazy ideas and never copied anything from real life. That was the quote, by the way, that I was referring to. He was just on his own making this stuff. And I think the secretiveness is what made him copy others even less and create unique material even more because it was just all for himself. He wasn't even trying to impress anybody or do it for any other reason than he just loved it. It's it's an interesting idea that kind of the, the creative mind is a beautiful thing that cannot be hand-waved, but the idea that he came up with such like a weirdly unique idea within the very codified system of how manga is produced and created in Japan owes a lot to the fact that he kind of made himself an outside artist without realizing it. Uh-huh. 100%. That, like, just be, because he was shy. That's the most Japanese thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> even, this was even a country where, like, hey, I want to be a manga artist. Isn't a crazy, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. This, this Our society supports thousands upon thousands of comic artists. This is, he, you know, it's, yeah, sure. Why not? He was he was af afraid of shaming himself and his family, so he became an auteur. That's the, it's like the most Japanese way of doing things. But but then he had his big shot. He had his 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 portfolio full of dreams, and he decided to sit down and submit his work to the number one big boy in town, Shonen mm -hmm. Jump. 
yeah, a 19-page gag manga. He brings it to an editor at Shonen Jump, and um, and he had this to say about it. I said to myself while drawing it, this would definitely have the editor rolling on the floor laughing. However, when I actually showed it to the Jump editor, he kept turning the pages super fast. The page that was supposed to produce a hearty laugh was soon left far behind, and he found that it was just going to be way easier for him to get his personal stuff out online. Um, and he said, even in college, things didn't really change. The manga clubs and whatnot just didn't feel right, so I didn't enter them. And then I thought about uh, maybe there were other people out there in the same boat I was. So since I didn't have a laptop at the time, I went searching for, in quote, aspiring manga artists on mobile phone sites. This was what led me to encounter web comics for the very first time. And that's what brings us to what's going to lead to his big breakthrough. So we're talking, we're talking the early, we're talking the mid to late 2000s. So like 2000, like seven, eight, nine. So like at that point in Japan, they had flip phones still. There was like, you know, this Uh wasn't smartphones. He was literally like discovering this world of people that were creating comics for free on flip phones. (laughs) Like that's crazy. Yeah. And not even on a PC. And so at first he's just posting funny pictures, not even manga. He said, for instance, even if I drew a person, the back of their head would be really long or they'd have a really wide forehead or an unbelievably huge cleft chin. While I was drawing stuff like that, my site's visitors increased to about 100. At the time, there were lots of people imitating popular manga trying to make pictures that were likely to sell. So I guess because of that, I stood out from the pack. And he was literally like taking pictures uh, he was uh, making little drawings and then taking pictures of them with his phone and posting them up. So again, pre iPhone cameras. Yeah, like this was, is crazy. The website was called Nietzsche. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Which was a uh, which was a, a manga uh, portal along with other like different fan forums and stuff. But like Neat is the Japanese word for N E E T, not in education, employment, or training. So like, <laughs> literally, our hero, the hero of our story, is a shy weirdo taking cell phone camera pictures of his own drawings to post to basically virgintown.org. <laughs> Uh Uh-huh, 100%. And we're talking also, when I said that he was taking pictures with his phone, he had to draw his manga the size of the palm of your hand is the size that he was drawing this stuff initially in order to be able to take a picture of it with his phone and post this. You could barely make it out. What he was, it's like, you cannot get cruder than this. But eventually, finally, he said uh, after, oh, well, actually, first, uh, the first one he drew was Sun Man, which is currently unavailable. You can't even find it. He said, I made the last boss too strong and couldn't defeat it before I disbanded the homepage. And that's when he decided, rather, to move from the mobile phone to the PC for easier reading. In 2009, he gets interested in creating a comic about a superhero that was already the strongest in the world. One said... I thought it might be interesting if the first chapter is like the final chapter. Have the protagonist be extremely strong from the very start, be at the maximum power level, which could only be attained in the final chapter of usual manga. One also said, punching is oftentimes pretty useless against life's problems. But inside One Punch Man's universe, I made Saitama a sort of guy who was capable of adapting his life to the world that surrounded him, only armed with his immense power. The only obstacles he faces are mundane things like running short of money which happens in the comic. Um, 
or in or in the manga, you know, that sort of stuff or like No, in the first- uh, Saitama lives in like a even by Japanese standards a really shitty tiny apartment that has just like a rolled up futon in the corner and a rack a TV and a rack of his like comics. Uh <laughs> he's obsessed with sales cuz that's like the only way he can actually buy nice groceries. <laughs> he started drawing One Punch Man as an experiment cuz uh he this was his big artistic uh, uh investment in himself. He bought like a really cheap uh-huh. graphics tablet, uh-huh. like not even a Wacom, and used the pack-in software. You know, like you know, whenever you buy like a shitty PC peripheral, and it comes with like drop Funimation, like like basically yep. Windows Movie Maker. Yeah. Um, and he just yeah, and even this even this thing is like. You know, I feel like every cartoonist at one point does a thing like, you know, uh, this is Duperman. It's like Superman, but dumb. Like, every, yeah. I, you know, it's like a very common idea, but it's still like a stood out in this genre where everyone was trying to break into, quote unquote, real manga yeah. through this through this thing. And he was just happy providing for the free digital audience. And uh, two. He was like part of a scene and was watching as his friends, his other like compatriots were moving on. Like people mm-hmm. were graduating and getting deals with Shonen Jump and getting deals with all the other manga publishers. And he was just in his own little corner. But people were really reacting to One Punch Man and it was getting thousands of hits. Well, it and- stood out. A- another point I wanted to make t- towards what you were saying is he did purposely want to make One Punch Man Saitama look uncool. And I think he saw what his friends who were moving on were doing and thinking to himself, he said, the world is full of cool-looking heroes, so I didn't think that was something I wanted to write about. Plus, I believe that heroes' coolness comes from their spirit and not their looks. I don't think how a hero looks is that important. And in fact, I agree with that. I think that... Um, the more mundane you look, actually, almost in a scene, like the more interested I am in you. One site citing is uh, in, in that movie SLC Punk. Everybody's all like punked out, leather jackets, mohawks. But the most interesting character to me is the guy that's like the true punk guy that's kind of dressed how you are dressed right now, Jake. He just wears glasses and has like a polo shirt on, and hey, he's this like is a rugby jumper. Damn it! <laughs> and he's like a real punk. You know what I mean? Because he really doesn't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> you know, working for Dorkly, we were having an issue where we were posting like comics on social media that weren't like doing well. And so I told our artists like, like, hey, for this next one, literally draw people just as like blobs, like get rid of the detail, make it as like simple and accessible and like easy to read as possible because people are scrolling past this shit on Instagram and like too much visual information will like overload them. Uh-huh. And it totally worked like by just simplifying. Interesting as hell. You're able yeah. to to cut through the noise a lot better. Yeah. Um, oh, we should also mention uh, that One Punch Man is also, get this, hear me out, a dumb Japanese pun. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, I bet. Uh, specifically, if you look at the actual, because the logo in, um, which is weird because in English it's written as one dash punch man, but in Japanese releases it's one punch dash man, which I don't quite understand. Uh, but in Japanese it spells out one pan man, like kind of you know the, uh, romanization. However, you, I don't know how Japanese language works, but it's one pan man, which is a blatant play. On the uh, Japanese uh, children's character Anpanman, uh, <laughs> and if you uh, if you look at a picture of uh, Anpanman, it's basically the same as uh, Saitama's costume with the colors inversed. He wears uh, yellow gloves and has a red jumper, but has the white cape. Uh, even his head is because it's a sweet red bean bun. 
uh, is bald. Like it's it's very clearly like again this this original this original thing. Uh, the, like issue one, chapter one was as 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 kind of uh, was was literally like any other cartoonist in the world doing Duperman. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Totally, like, totally. Uh, Anpanman would have been immediately recognizable. The pun would have been immediately apparent. Uh, Anpanman uh, has trouble breaking into uh, the global audience. One because personally, Anpan is a really gross uh, baked good. It's like a liter- like imagine a dinner roll with like mushy with sweetened refried beans in the center it's it's weird it's weird to eat uh <laughs> and two the most of the plots around um anpanman would be that like someone was hungry and anpanman would rescue them by feeding him chunks of his own head <laughs> what so it's just very yeah it's just completely uh, over the top and insane also, in the first episode, this is, again, in the first chapter slash episode, the, uh, I, I don't know, One Punch Man Prime, the thing that got this all rolling, the villain that uh, One Punch Man defeats, uh, who establishes the whole gag, everyone thinks it's like a Piccolo knockoff, because, like, he... Uh, the he does look very like Piccolo, he's very, pur- he, he is purple instead of green, but he does have the... Antlers, I guess we'll call them that. Dealing uh, boppers, antennas, the whatever. antenna that that Piccolo has. Antenna is probably a better word, and he does have a similar shape in terms of his facial structure. But Anpanman also has a weird, grody alien uh, enemy called like Bacteria Man, who has ah. the dealy boppers, who has the antenna, yeah. and who does One Punch Man fight in the first issue? Vaccine Man. Yes, Vaccine Man, and he immediately destroys him. I'm going to repeat it. It's it's like if I was in I, – I'm sure I drew a cartoon when I had delusions of cartooning grandeur that was like Duperman versus Lex Lumbar. <laughs> like it's that <laughs> like one-to-one simple of a joke, but there was something there, something that like – audiences reacted to. Well, here's a couple of things, and we, we have talked about these a little bit, but I have some good uh, direct quotes from him about them. Uh, one thing that I really love, he apparently was influenced by, what was it called, Crayon Shinchan for this? Mm-hmm. In terms of comedy, Crayon Shinchan was mostly just goofy and silly and physical comedy and whatnot. But what, uh, what one really loved about the comic was every now and again, there'd be this like super serious element in a crayon chan chan uh comic or episode or whatnot and it's the movies whenever they had to stretch it out beyond a simple gag cartoon they would introduce like some weirdly serious melodrama yeah and it would be mixed in with the comedy and that's when one really felt the comedy came alive in that strip he said my favorite way to make plots is to rub serious elements and gag elements together and create comedic atmosphere by the friction something happens when solemnity suddenly breaks into the world of comedy you know one of our favorite things to do back when I did a, I dabbled in improv back in college one of our favorite things to do was it was just called serious scene and it would be the funniest scene of the night. It was literally just two people incredibly committed to a drama, a dramatic scene. And it would always be the funniest <laughs> scene because it was we're doing, sandwiched. Yeah. We're doing this improv comedy show. where a bunch of comedians. And all of a sudden these two silly comics are like now doing this very serious, having this very serious moment. And it was always literally like just destroyed. It was the way better. And it was never about the baby Tom. Yeah. <laughs> It just is funny. It's inherently funny, you know? Like watching Jackie and Henry perform Steel Magnolias together. It's just so... I mean, they're amazing. Their performances are incredible, but there's something inherently funny in it because they are inherently funny. Also, though, 
I wanted to talk a little bit more. Uh, I have a really just great um, quote uh, about the everyday struggles in life that he and why he brought that. He said, in my eyes, just leading an ordinary life seems like a pretty tough job, too. The simple task of waking up in the morning and getting on the train to go to work, doing that every day, that isn't easy at all, at least to me. I don't want to trivialize all those ordinary things. I want to have my protagonist strive to live a proper social life. I want to depict Saitama running around to make it in time for the sales and struggling every day with all those little ordinary things. I think that's such a fascinating thing because we we go home and we watch our our um our shonen stuff and it's all these over the top fights and crazy stuff and I think it's almost more troubling for the audience to come home from work and experience more of that in a show. That's almost more challenging as an audience to see somebody going through what they've been going through as opposed to the, to the escapism that we normally get, right, when we watch shows like that. I, I wanted to save my lofty, like, uh, psychoanalysis to the, for the end, so I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, let's just keep these seeds in play. I just want to keep coming yeah. back to these little things. Hey everybody, it's your wicked wizard Jake here to talk about this week's sponsor, Keeps. Hair. It's the stuff on your head. It's made of keratin. You like to ruffle your fingers through it, and if it starts thinning before you're ready, it can leave you with a lot of questions, give you a lot of anxiety. Luckily, there are treatments available, and they're cheaper than they've ever been before, thanks to Keeps. Keeps is the easiest and most affordable way to keep the hair you have. Once you start using Keeps, you'll notice that you'll have less hair on your pillow in the morning, less hair falling off in the shower, and after a prolonged use, you might even see hair growing back. These are FDA-approved products that used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes now and just a dollar a day, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. Getting started with Keeps is so easy. Sign up takes less than a couple of minutes. You just answer a few questions and snap some photos of your hair. You can do it on your phone, you can do it on your computer, you can do it in the back of an Uber. It's that simple. A licensed physician will then review your information and then recommend the right treatment for you. Then it's shipped right to your door every three months. That's it. You make the decision once and you never have to worry about it again. Now, Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you have probably tried them before, but you've never gotten them for this price. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, plus now you can get your first month of treatment for free. That's right, free. Take care of this problem that's been bugging you and get it for the first month for free. That's amazing. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, plus you can get your first month for free. That's an offer they're making to listeners this show. It's a hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. And that's a free month of treatment. All you got to do is go to keeps.com slash wizard and get started. Keeps. Hair today. Hair tomorrow. Okay, so so the the little manga artist that couldn't yes fell <laughs> through his own shyness but dedication to his craft ended up having what was uh, for the time a hit webcomic. He only intended, by the way, for One Punch Man to be one chapter long, but he got enough of a response that he ends up continuing to go. There's just enough people saying, "Hey, you know, uh, where's the next chapter, bud?" Where's the next chapter? I want the next chapter right now, you know? 
And um, so he starts making more and more. And very quickly, he becomes popular. And by popular, I mean if you got 30 comments per chapter of your manga on uh, Nietzsche, you were considered a popular manga artist on this webcomic page. You were small time, but you were popular. By the time one got to chapter 30 of One Punch Man, he had a thousand comments per chapter. He was clearly just exploding on this website on such to such a crazy degree. And that was so amazing for him. He said, for creators, the appeal lies in the lack of restrictions. You can draw manga that you wouldn't be able to draw in, com in a commercial publication. There's nobody to stop you. So you're free. This all ties into what I guess you could call a sense of crudeness and lack of polish and amateurishness, which for some reason gives webcomics a unique charm. Kind of like um, a stupid idiot in his uh, kitchen doing a Twitch stream. You know what I mean? To a much lesser degree, but that's what it feels like. This, All of this feels like that. Okay, fine. I can't get a job in the industry. I'm just going to start doing my comedy on Twitch. Oh, okay. 30 people showed up? All right, fuck it. You guys want to keep it going? Let's keep it going. You know what I mean? And it's such a beautiful thing. Well, Holden, there's one c -c -c connection uh -oh. between, say, a loser in his kitchen <laughs> doing Twitch streams and One Punch Man, and that is Street Fighter. Yes, because he was inspired by the art of Street Fighter. Well, also that, but, okay, so among one's many fans was a uh, artist who worked for Capcom, ah. who we covered in the past, who goes by the name of Akiman. Yes. Uh, Akiman is, if you think of, like, OG Street Fighter Two artwork, or, like, um, the original drawing of Sagat, where they introduced, like, Dan as a character... Uh, or the uh, the like one of the most iconic pieces of artwork for Final Fight with like Cody kind of like staring down all the gang members. This was like a legendary uh, artist within the Japanese like nerd art community, and Akiman started posting about how much he loves this fun little web comic. Mm -hmm. And once Akiman started posting about it, all the nerds who followed Akiman started uh, checking out One Punch Man, including. A accomplished manga artist of his own of his own named Yusuke Murata. Yusuke Murata. This is where he comes in. At the age of 12, he won two contests to design Mega Man villains. He was credited for Dust Man and Mega Man 4 and Crystal Man and Mega Man 5. Also, could Dust you Man is such a weird, dumb design. I'm sorry. I, good for you for making He's it. He's 12! I could submitted to that contest when I was, when I was exactly. like Exactly. Could you imagine, fathom how cool it would be to not only win it once, but twice for it's, your it's favorite very, video game? I'm, it's it's a grand accomplishment, but Dustman is a goofy robot motherfucker. Boy, I have to look up Dustman. <laughs> it's a fucking HVAC vent for it. Look up Dustman. You're going to be like, that idiot? I will look it up in just a second. When you start going off on one of your tangents, I'm going to look it up and then chime in at a weird moment. Another uh, thing about Dustman. <laughs> <laughs> we already had Airman. You can't just do two different windy-based guys. I would take D Airman over Dustman any day because du a dusty wind is just the worst. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just coughing, hacking up along. He ends up, uh, Yusuke Murata ends up getting the Hop Step Award for a one shot called Partner. And then um, with Richiro Inagaki as a writer on it, he drew the American football manga Eye Shield 21, which it was ran a manga about f American football. It wasn't yes. a manga produced in America. <laughs> 
no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of word descriptive words, and we have to say them in the correct order. It gets very confusing very fast. Uh, this runs for 333 chapters. It's his big breakout. It ends in June of 2009. He is heavily influenced by Dragon Ball, has a knack for putting funny details into his work, which makes him really good for uh, something like One Punch. And he said, Murata said, around the time when iShield 21 was ending, I saw a tweet and blog post by Akiman, as you said, Jake, saying One Punch Man is really good. I got interested and took a look, which led me to pull an all-nighter reading the entire thing. I thought webcomics are really great and started reading a whole bunch of them, but in the end, One Punch Man was the most enjoyable to read. So good that somebody who probably reads manga all day long was compelled to stay up all night to finish it. How crazy is that? Uh, you can find the original tweet online where Yusuke Murata like actually adds one and it's like, hey, your comic's pretty good. Like we should talk sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, from that initial um, connection, they started meeting up and started like spitballing ideas and started trying to collaborate. Let me give you a fun little. It's a bit dramatic how this all went down. So, Murata um, tells the story here. He says, After about a year, Mr. One tweeted, I'm thinking of quitting my job to become a manga artist, but my peers are stopping me. When I first started reading One Punch Man, I was already hoping I could one day work together, but I was already under a contract with Shonen Jump, so I thought it would sound too fishy if I just asked, Want to work together? But then I saw the tweet and thought, Crap, Mr. One is going to stop drawing manga and I contacted him immediately. He also said, around that time, I was actually really sick. I broke out in a hive, my inner organs were infected, and I couldn't breathe well with my windpipe swelling. I was in the hospital when I thought, ah, I guess people die just like that. If I'm going to die, I want to do something I really love to do. I want to draw manga with Mr. One. How ca- crazy is that? That's very good. A man on his deathbed, one of the one of the, this revered manga artist, this other man who's afraid to like go full time, who thinks he should just live a mundane life and walk away from comics entirely, and they both meet up and and fulfill each other's destinies. That's a great story. It's a very good story. <laughs> so Murata contacts all the publishers he can think of to get this to happen. His editor gets a hold of... And then of, one was like, wait, did you invent Dustman? Fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> no one wants to work with him because of Dustman. Dustman, the worst mistake he's ever made. He decides to kill himself. He gets to the bridge. A man dressed as Dustman, who's actually one in costume, shows up and says, hey, I'm actually kind of cool, ain't I? <laughs> Um, some of this is not true, okay? And it's up to you guys to do your own research at home to figure out what part of what we just said is not. So there's To dress up like Dustman, all you have to do is put some uh, ducting on your head and be shitty. All right, I have to look this guy up right now, so you're just going to have to take over while I do this. Um, Dustman. So initially, the two collaborate, and they're trying to pitch original series. He's cool. He's got like a TV on his head. And no, it's like a fucking HVAC vent. It's mm. fun. Maybe you I just like, hated that boss fight. Maybe that's what I'm like. Maybe that's just, where I'm coming from. Yeah, maybe he was just a pain in the ass. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? I'm a Dustman apologist. That's right, Jake. <laughs> that's right. I'm going to make us do a whole episode on Dustman at some point. I would love to do an episode on Mega Man 4. Just Mega Man 4. It's a weird one. Weird <laughs> stuff happens. They're letting kids draw the, create the characters. <laughs> There's a um, Pharaoh Man. A lot of things going wrong. <laughs> so anyways, Murata's publisher or editor, rather, gets a hold of a Tonari no Young Jump, 
who took Murata up on his dream and is still the publisher for the One Punch manga today. In America, it is published in Weekly Shonen Jump, by the way, I should say. Um, and in Redra... So Murata, by the way, is essentially saying, which is such a weird thing. I don't know how often this really happens. Maybe this is the first time it ever did happen. But he approaches one and just says, look, I'm a fucking phenomenal illustrator for manga, uh, let me just take what you've already done and just breathe new life into it with better illustrations and so that we can get this thing published on mainstream big publications. And one goes along with them on it. And so, um, you know, Murata really brought something special to One Punch. But uh, so the the I think the Redraw comic is like complete is is sublime beyond this source material because the uh even though one even though one's webcomic has this like outsider art charm the core joke of the series is like hey wouldn't it be funny if this happened in a big like anime and by Murata's artwork it actually the joke reaches full fruition because you get that level of spectacle you get that level of bombacity yes while the humor of just this weird neutral Eggman just stomping his way through it, like it, it uh, Saitama becomes even more of this like amazing alien comical presence because Murata is drawing manga at the most epic scale that like you could only imagine when uh, one was drawing it. And one also had all these like grand ideas that yeah that he couldn't make he come couldn't, to fruition. Which, and they're very, and you know, there's a lot of like, so, you know, the angles, the uh, set pieces, those are all in the original, but when actually rendered to that degree of fidelity, it's amazing. And uh, another thing that was happening is uh, the redraw in Japan was actually itself a webcomic. It was mm. officially produced. It was right. like, it's, it's, it's a weird distinction, but a official manga publisher's online comic as opposed to a self-produced webcomic is like still kind of a you know it's like um like the difference between like a shitty daily gamer comic and like those overwatch comics that they release with every update to like give backstory you know what i mean uh-huh uh -huh. like even though they're both comics that are digital they were completely different in terms of like production value and uh what Murata did was he introduced this level of like animation into the comic because uh, the comic is meant to be read scrolling. This is actually a really weird thing. Hmm. When they publish these, in when they try and publish these on paper, uh, where, you know, Murata took the time to, like, zoom in and zoom out and do all these crazy camera motions and do all this framing. And there's a GIF that went around where, like, in terms of actual frame, during a specific scene where uh, the ninja speed of sound Sonic is, like, bouncing around treetops trying to get... Uh, like the jump on Saitama, there's technically more frames of quote unquote animation in the comic than in the actual animation. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because Murata wanted to capture that Matrix bullet time rotation idea. Yeah. So before it was even an anime, like it's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it created like it's, it's widescreen comics. Like even the format itself was revolutionary and it was revolutionary in service of telling this silly story. 
So again, that disconnect, that 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 tension, that comedy power between uh, the unseriousness of Saitama and the seriousness of the world was cranked up to a bajillion. So yep. the original comics are incredible to read and are just as satisfying as even the most epic moments in the anime. And I love, too, that you still maintain some of the simplicity of one's design. And I think the simplicity of just w- when he's not in like action mode, serious mode. It's you can tell when it's when he switches when Saitama switches to serious mode, he gets like pointier and more yes. chiseled. But when he's th- just like dude on the street and he's sort of just <laughs> one's basic design, but he's standing next to this ludicrously designed monster, it's so great. It's just it, you don't even need dialogue. It looks funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like it sells just based on just the the look of it, and I think that's so wonderful. The contrast, the mashing together of the super serious with the super silly, the mashing together of the super simple with the super uh, detailed. It's all it all works towards on a comedic level. So like in the in the webcomic, one will draw like this sexy mosquito lady, but she's not really sexy. But like she's going like, I will feast on your fluids or whatever. And you kind (laughs) of like, yeah, I get it. She's supposed to be like a femme fatale monster. Uh But Murata the dude was born to draw titties. This was his God himself was like, right. you, sir, the Thou dude shalt draw titties. Yeah. Insane levels of detail on the female <laughs> form. This guy, like it is, he's it's very horny art. I'm just going to say the horniest <laughs> art I'd seen in quite a while when I was I'm like, watching your engine get revved up just by talking about the art, Jake. And it's disturbing to see just, uh, just look up Murata like girl and or then don't, just, or don't. Or don't look at that. You know oh what I mean? God. Especially it's if you're not insane. on a secured network. If you're at work right now, maybe don't do that. You know what I mean? Uh, so the uh, manga. Ta- becomes- I'll tell you what. Take a, if you're at work right now, take a take a shit break, whether mm-hmm. you have to or not. Go into the bathroom and get off their Wi-Fi and look at it on your phone. Okay, that's how you should do it. Actually, it, I think nope. If you Google that specific phrase, you get a weird. Um, uh, Japanese uh, you just get coming dust of man. age novel. No, no. <laughs> you just get sexy. You just get dust man with like massive breasts. <laughs> Yusuke Murata woman and you just get all sorts of girly pinups. So he's delivering like shonen like bombacity. I've already used that word in every panel and it's just so it becomes a huge hit because it's like cheesecake. It's explosions and it's funny and it's like and it's dramatic and so, obviously, what does every successful manga need? It needs an anime. It needs an anime. In May of 2015, an anime adaptation was announced. The pilot is written by Tomohiro Suzuki and directed by Shingo Natsume from the anime studio Madhouse. Natsume, he worked on Gurren Lagan early in his career, animating a sequence in the finale with Chikashi Kubota, where they become where they became a team. Uh, that's their first time they met up and started doing cool stuff together. His fir- feature film was Full Metal Alchemist: The Sacred Star of Milos. That was his first first feature film, rather, and it's regarded as an amazing spectacle of motion that established him as an amazing Sakuga director. We mentioned Sakuga earlier. That's really kind of, that's that moment in the anime where you're like, oh, that's where the budget went. (laughs) I see. It's that heavily detailed wild action sequence that, uh, yeah, I was like, why is everybody standing still and barely talking for the first 20 minutes of the show? Oh, good lord, his head exploded. You know, it's that moment. 
after these credits, he's been able to pull in amazing talent such as frequent animation director of One Punch, Sejun Kim, regarded as the best modern Gundam animator. If you need a bunch of missiles and lasers shooting around in a million different directions, that's the guy you reach. He, uh, Ch- Chikashi uh, Kubota, as I mentioned before, he uh, is the chief animation director of One Punch Man and also did a uh, lot of character designs. Uh, yeah, and he even had to send... This is how good the sh- well the show is animated. He had to send out a tweet to clarify a misconception that they were not supported by a giant animation budget, but by normal figures, as is standard to a normal anime show. That's how well animated this show is for normal standards. It's like, no, no, like we're not getting double the money. We're just really good at it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the... Uh, so the uh, Shingo Natsume also worked on Space Dandy, under a, f- a former, uh, we talked about him on the Cowboy Bebop episode, uh, Shinichiro uh, Watanabe. And that anime was very high budget and definitely highlighted the various, like, uh, it had a lot of cool style changes and had a lot of unique animated sequences. So almost more so than uh, Shingo Natsume's um talents as an animator himself was the fact that he was friends and had connections with basically the who's who motherfuckers within the Japanese anime world. So Mm -hmm. his key animators uh, were just the top of the list. One cool thing, though, is that they're also a, bu- a handful of them are also known as the web gen or web generation of young animators who kind of like one on the manga end were uploading their own work online before they got their big break. These people include Gosei Oda, Norifumi Kugai, Ryu Nakayama, Shun uh, Inokido, and Kinichi Fujisawa. And these guys are the masters of lasers, explosions, and punches that make all these big action scenes pop so uh there's a youtube video by a uh, channel called the canapa effect that goes into i know it sounds like we're just rattling a lot a lot of japanese names i know but i feel like i should say their names because even though they're a lot of japanese names like we say the american names you know what i mean they deserve their due damn it (laughs) uh one of the most amazing things in the series i think are uh two fight sequences one is uh the geno saitama sparring match where they're just kind of goofing around and like Genos is like keeps ramping up and ramping up and Saitama's like, oh, this is fun. This is cute. And uh, the Boros fight, which is the, you know, the Cyclops alien overlord guy who like yeah. becomes just a giant fucking Cthulhu like uh-huh. n- nightmare fighting monster. Uh, that was done by a guy named Arifumi Imai, who is like insanely talented. And when we say talent, like you have to understand it's the quality of the drawings, knowing when to like keep things tight and when to keep things loose. And even just like the simple fact of like uh, how to move the camera around, how like what interesting angles to use, the choreography of the fights and uh, the timing of each individual frame. Cause you know, if you're, if you're an amateur, you'll just be like, okay, we're drawing at like, I don't know if it's anime, uh, 12 frames a second, and we're just going to go da, 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 da. But a talented animator knows that because certain actions like have different weights and things move at different speeds and how we perceive motion as human beings, you know, you might use those 12 frames to like say you're winding up for like a fucking knockout punch. You'd go da, 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 like. You're uh-huh. using the same amount of frames, but you're timing them and using them more effectively. These are like animation is like an incredible art form. And the One Punch Man anime series, especially well, season one, especially is 
a masterclass in awesome uh, animation. I should drop another Japanese name right here. Uh, you've got these Webgen guys, but there's also the other side of that coin with the more traditional Yoshimichi Kameda, whose animation work on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is iconic. Uh, he did the Mustang and Lust final showdown. He did King Bradley versus uh, Greeling. He's known for his great use of impact frames along with a switch to a calculated rough look pencil-like or even Sumi e-brush work or which Sumi e-brush if you're familiar with like the more recent Street Fighter games you've got mm-hmm. that certain Japanese looking brush work that, that that happens during special moves and things like that that's kind of what they're talking about the uh the, the in episode two when the uh-huh. giant when the giant like goes kind of all wibbly wobbly yes, and the animation yes. gets super fluid, yeah. that's that's uh, Kameda's work. That and it's really fucking cool, uh, and it always works. <laughs> so a lot of these names we're naming were friends of Natsume who are working as freelancers. Because like, uh, so when we say like, oh, Madhouse was better than the new than JC staff, which is who are handling. Um, the second season, like it's not as simple as just one studio good, other studio bad. Like it's about, you know, kind of it's about the art form of animation, the way creatives like kind of form connections with one another. And like, you know, how, you know, how people end up working on a project is more complicated than just like one studio bad, other studio good. That's that's all I want to say. Sure, sure, sure. And it's so much about all these different people that this whole ecosystem and how special that can be to have a group of people that all work well together, that all offer different things. And it's so difficult to find that and have it all come together. And so I don't know. I mean, mad respect for one punch man season one. And I hope the season two guys can pull it out. Uh, episode, uh, episode two uh, came out and it looks really, it looks a lot better. There's more things That's going good. on. Not I've on only the same seen the first level. episode. But, you know, I think they're getting their sea legs. Um, why? Do you know why they didn't stick with Madhouse? It was working so well. Uh, the animation industry in Japan is going through a very weird time right now, kind of uh. similar to um, uh, what we talked about in the Ren and Stimpy episode, that, like, mm. uh, the commodified uh, artwork, outsourcing, uh, you know, the the amount of people that have the raw animation skill are, like, kind of rarer and kind of harder to come by. And so it could just be that those people are booked up and, they, you know, they have other contractual commitments because gotcha. these were freelance. A, a lot of these people are freelancers and they just could maybe they couldn't get it back together. So let's talk about just some of our favorite moments, because this show is full of just amazing gags and amazing like one off characters and memorable lines. Um, Moomin Rider. Holden, can we talk about Moomin Rider? The can guy ta- on the bicycle. Oh God! Wait, the guy in the bicycle. You you do it. You say you you explain it best. I don't so know. I'm not um, prepa- I'm not prepared. <laughs> uh, it's a another dumb pun based on Common Rider. You know the bug mask motorcycle yeah. hero. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's just a one off joke character, and it ends up being the emotional core of the first season as this dummy in like a bicycle helmet is staring down the deep sea king, which is this like. This um, right. they oh they do this amazing job of of making these monsters both goofy and terrifying at the same time, and you know it's it's pure rote standard like Gambate do your best like you know 
epic music shown in storytelling, but you have to have a heart of iron to not respect this poor bleeding idiot whose special attack is literally riding his bike at full speed and then just jumping off of it and letting the bike hit his enemies. I mean, I already mentioned, um, and I know, uh, uh, one said it in an interview, his favorite character design was Crablante. And I think that Crablante does do an incredible job of bringing you into the reality of the show and how fucking stupid they can get uh, in the best way possible with this guy who's wearing, who has normal, like, who has, like, legs with the Hairy tight, human legs. Hairy human le- like, white legs with tidy whities on at the bottom half. And the top half is a crab. And he's like, I eat too much crab, and now I'm Crablante. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Then he's so stupid looking that he's uh phenomenal who's the other guy who's like who's one of, i think he's one of the main guys who looks insane and is he also wearing tidy whities i can't remember he's like this hairy man oh guy. Puri Puri prisoner yes 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 Puri Puri prisoner uh who is like this the i mean it's a very I mean, japanese comedy is very heavy-handed so it's a lot of like hard gay stereotypes but it's yeah. also this sailor moon pastiche yeah but also this jack naked prisoner <laughs> it's um, kind of amazing he's yeah he's uh his design is is just disturbing like there's so many weird stuff, and I see it a lot in One Piece too. This guy looks like he's straight out of One Piece. In he a does. Lot of ways. He absolutely does. But he he's just there's just something about the mixture of masculinity and femininity that only can happen in manga or anime that you just like you can't look away, but you just feel a little you just feel the the rest of your day is a little more disturbed than it needed to be. The uh the the payoff from the uh, House of Evolution early arc where mm. it's this like. You know, if they introduce Genos, his sidekick, and they introduce all these like animal monsters, and like Saitama is just sleepwalking through these guys, uh-huh. and like uh, you know, it's basically Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle villains, and like the whole time, everyone's just like, "What is the source of his power?" And Saitama finally reveals that to become the strongest man in the world, to become, to reach the apex of human achievement beyond the limits of limits, uh, you have to do a hundred sit-ups. A hundred push-ups and a hundred squats, and then go for a ten-kilometer run every day. <laughs> and didn't a guy actually do it? And he's like lost a lot of weight doing it and stuff. There's uh, yeah, like a real guy who tried the workout, and he's well, that's been... immediately like the first thing that they yell back at him is like, "That's like a moderate training regimen. That's like not even tough. Like, yeah. Holden, you run more than ten kilometers all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But I don't. I can't do a hundred push-ups I'll every that fucking much. I just love the fact that, like, you're at, like, in a way, it actually kind of encapsulates the entire. Uh, first of all, it's a beautiful joke for nerds that, like, yeah, idiot, just fucking work out and you'll become stronger. Uh, I don't know. It's so brilliant. It's, it's, there's something very funny to me about that. That, like, it's not like genetics. It's not, uh-huh. okay, you know what it is? It's because, you know, in, in Dragon Ball, Goku will be in the hyperbolic time chamber or, like, at a hundred times gravity and he'll be yeah. like, And for normal people, what that feels like is doing 100 squats, even though your legs are still sore from yesterday. Uh huh. 100%. Like our version of the Shonen, like one, like Saitama did our version of Goku training, and that made him Goku. Yes, exactly. It's very funny. It's very. I just have to join a gym. That's what I'm getting to. <laughs> well, one thing we haven't talked about yet as we come towards the end of our episode is One Punch! 
Hero. I want to be a psycho hero. It's like no, you want to be Axl Rose from the. From the eighties, actually, is what you want to be. Fucking um, this! These people could teach Axl Rose a thing or two. The opening theme of One Punch Man: The Hero! Exclamation point. And I forget what the subtitle is, but it's weird and it's long. Uh, it's by Jam Project, J- uh, which stands for Japan Animation Song. That's one word. <laughs> Makers. That's that is Jam Project, which stands for J- Japan Animation Song. Makers. It is uh, specifically Anasan or anime song Makers, a super group founded by Ichiru Mizuki, aka Toshio Hayakawa, who is known as the big brother of the anime music genre, also as the Anna King or emperor of anime songs. He's recorded over 1,200 songs for Japanese film, television, and video games since 1968. And it, the culture around that is very interesting because Anna Song or music that's specifically that is made for film and TV and anime and stuff, that is considered a completely separate music genre mm-hmm. as opposed to here where, especially nowadays, you have a pop singer makes a song, releases it as the theme to a film, but we don't consider that like its own genre of music, you know? Whereas for them, it's it's its own thing. Even though pop musicians might make an Anna song, uh, but that would be outside of the genre of music that they make their pop music in. Um, it, he formed the Jam Project with fellow musicians Hironobu Kageyama, known for the Dragon Ball Fighter uh, or Dragon Ball Z opening credits, uh, Masaki Indo, known for Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, Aizo Sakamoto, which is uh, a member of the heavy metal band Anthem, and Rika Matsumoto, who is known for Pokemon. And later he would reduce his role while bringing in Hiro- Hiroshi Kitadani, for, uh, who's known for One Piece, Masami Okui, who's known for Revolutionary Girl Utena, and Yoshiki Fukuyama, who's known for Macross 7. These are like just the big boys of, you know, the ballers. Of anime, so of course the Saitama, the hero who destroys the idea of a shonen hero, has the most shonen hero theme song. Of course, it gets you pumped. It gets you so pumped, dude. They also did the opening for season two, which, although less of a power jam, still does deliver in the still getting good. pumped department. And and it really, it's very metal. That that uh, <laughs> the hero, it's like super duper metal. But mixed with, you know, a more like uh, Japan pop music sensibility, uh, J-pop sensibility. Fantastic shit. It reached number 19 on the Japanese music charts with sales in the 100,000 plus area on the single. It's so good. The video's great, by the way. Watch the music video. Watch the actual opening for One Punch Man. My favorite part of the opening is when he's walking down, like, a lonely country road, and then he gets struck by lightning. (laughs) 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 It's pretty great. I love that song. It needed its own corner, but it was also really interesting to learn about Jam Project. They've done so many songs for different anime shows and things it's kind of nuts the the (laughs) the amount that they're able to produce and the quality of that it's pretty great also um as we send you on your way at the end of this episode here i just wanted to say if you did like one punch you may be interested in a little known show called mob psycho 100 
this debuted in Aura Sunday on April 12, 2012, and it was made into an anime series as well in December of 2015. It was produced by Bones Inc., the anime studio that gave us uh, the My Hero Academia and two Full Metal, Alchem- uh, Full Metal Alchemist adaptations. It is about a boy nicknamed Mob, short for Mobu, referring to background character, uh, <laughs> that is very inconspicuous and is actually secretly a powerful psycho. Uh, psycho is a powerful psychic who must stay low key to keep his powers in control. The manga is finished at just sixteen volumes, and the anime is done at twenty-five episodes. And I. That is what I'm going to watch next. Oh, it's amazing. Jake, I really can't wait to watch it. It seems like a perfect complement to One Punch Man. It, it's dealing with similar themes. It's dealing with similar, right? Trying to, it is sim, similar taking a genre and twisting it and making it uh, its own. Is it? Is it still a comedy, Jake? Oh, yeah, it absolutely is still a comedy. It's more so, a, I feel like it's more straight up a comedy uh, than One Punch Man, which is saying a lot. Um, this one plays more with like the Akira kind of like uh, psychic warfare tropes than um, than superhero tropes. But the animation is amazing. And it's more of a direct adaptation of one's own art style rather than one through Murata. So it has its own unique charm to it that, I mean, honestly, if you've lasted this long for a One Punch Man episode, you're probably already watching it. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't, though, and so I'm really excited. Oh, this oh. episode made me very excited to uh, d- d- jump into it uh, very, we'll, very, very much so. We'll do a, a Mob Psycho 100 episode that'll just, like, be the first half of this episode with a different <laughs> yeah. ending. Um, we'll just play the first half, yeah. So the general fi- so the thing about One Punch Man that I think really works is this was one kind of wrote this after he was out of school and was kind of like, uh, you know, he made this on his own and uh the idea of a shonen series it's about growing up it's about being confronted by all of these challenges and being scared and like kind of rising up to it and maturing into an entity that is capable of handling the problems everything from naruto to one piece to dragon ball is all about like growing and getting stronger even if that means emotional strength or finding the power of friendship or you know all the you know, all the lessons within the shonen uh, hero's journey is is it resonates with young boys because these are the emotions of young boys and the feeling of having reached an end state of having like kind of hit your potential and uh, having slayed the monsters and kind of having reached a sense of equilibrium and then being kind of like lonely and like kind of directionless after that that's a quarter life crisis that's like what uh-huh. happens when you no longer need the stories for children anymore and it's no I think it's not a coincidence that, you know, one wrote this in his mid 20s and then like it resonated so much with everyone, especially in this kind of perpetual stunted culture in Japan and in America. We've all kind of like, you know, there's disasters all around us. You know, we we kind of we're functional adults, but we're still just like bored and weird and just kind of like, you know, trying to like find something to excite us again to like have a reason to keep growing and Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's the emotional core of the show and that's why it resonates that's like the secret sauce that kind of makes it more than just a superhero parody beautifully put i I, let's end on that that's it i can't i I couldn't say it better myself jake fantastic Mm. shit i'm so glad we finally did this episode i know that's one you've been wanting to do for a while i'm glad that the second season came out and finally gave us a reason to do it 
Yes, absolutely. Um, also, really quick, uh, or not really quick, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for listening. And, re- well, yes, really quick in the sense that if you'd like to check us out further, check out uh, our patreon.com forward slash whizbrew is where you can find us for bonus content, just $5 a month, and we do weekly episodes for Jules. Also, uh, you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho. You can find me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And, um... Yeah, thanks, thanks for, thanks for everything. Oh, and you know what? You should do. <laughs> never stop bruising and always keep whizzing. We are never doing like it the same way. I feel like we change it now. It's become like a game of telephone. What even was the original version? It was probably like thanks keep for bruising, never stop, never whizzing. stop bruising. There's an episode in the bonus feed which you can access <laughs> by going to patreoncom whisper where we t- finalize the, the outro. <laughs> and now we've screwed it up a million times. You know what? We're never gonna sell the coffee mugs with the phrase on it. I, if we don't have a, the phrase. I get it. We'll, we'll have a separate meeting. We'll, we'll nail this down. <laughs> thanks again, everybody, and have a good one. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.